Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the newest episode of the Voxology Podcast. I, Mike Erie, am here with Tim Stafford, a very purpley Tim Stafford, with a purple t-shirt, a purple beanie, and... Um, purple blanket. A purple blanket. And so I... Cord. This... Oh, really? This episode is sponsored by the color purple. Hey. And uh, so there'll be purple rain references, Barney uh, references, the purple Teletubby... Um, which I think was the gay one, if that's if you don't remember uh, Teletubbies back in the day, um, and uh, whatever else comes to mind as purpley. Grimace. Grimace. <laughs> don't forget Grimace. <laughs> so, yes, very purple. Very purple today. Uh, any, any reason for that, my friend? Did you look? Which, which, which was put on first, the purple hat or the purple shirt? It's a great question. Um, I just, in general, like purple, apparently. Yeah, and uh, which is just fine. But then I just threw all this on this morning to drive the kids to school. It's a little colder here, finally. But in what order? Fallish. But in what? Well, I order, imagine the Timothy? shirt went on before the hat. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you walk around just with a hat on. I don't. I don't know. I can't assume that. You know what? You're right. We yeah. talked about that in class yesterday. They, you know. You know what they say when you assume. Oh something. boy, there's a there's a it's college a lesson. Yeah, deep dive. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this. Uh, <laughs> purple rain purple rain song by prince eddie, eddie played that in his set at the ohana fest last weekend he played purple rain yeah but he didn't oh. sing it josh klinghoffer did oh i love that they're playing together poor klinghoffer just gets booted out of the chili peppers like yeah but now he's a touring member of pearl jam and in the opening band oh really and a member of eddie's solo band he's touring with them yeah, he was their opener before the tour got canceled in 2019. Oh, and nice. And they just kind of kept him in tow. Okay. Um, fantastic. Yep. I, anyway, I don't have a All child. All the news that everyone wanted to know. I, I don't have a child to uh, to offer None. this morning. So, um, so thanks for those of you that wrote in and cheered on Hannah like you would cheer on Sweet Seth. Um, so I don't know. I guess it's just up to me to say, hey, Tim. Hit that music. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you for tuning in. Again, we are always so grateful to play a small part in your life. And we're grateful for the feedback we get. We want to thank Mark this week. What? Oh, we got feedback. Don't worry, Timothy. We're getting to your feedback. Tim Stafford, a comment by Tim Stafford generated. Um, Way more responses than I've ever gotten on a topic before. Yes, yes, yes. There was a very Tim-focused response pattern that we'll get to in just a second. But I wanted to thank Mark, who was already on our Patreon team, but has graciously increased his support, so thank you, and to all of you who faithfully support this crowdfunded nonprofit endeavor, man, we are so grateful. Um, if you want to find out more, go to patreon.com slash Voxology Podcast. Tim Stafford, not mm. usually known for his controversial views, never um, uttered really something that we can only say in hindsight is heretical. Flat out wrong, false, mm -hmm. yes. misguided, 
misconstrued and really um, out of just sheer ignorance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do this regularly. So it's big news when Tim does it. It finally um, arrived. It finally arrived. Uh, Tim has been graciously, and I mean graciously, rebuked, and I mean rebuked, by several <laughs> members of the Voxology um, community for throwing shade at a song called This Land is Your Land, This Land is My Land. Tim, give us the original misguided take that you had offered. Well, I think the problem was I didn't know that we were going to have so many Woody Guthrie uh, aficionados yeah out there that were going to come so quickly to his defense yes the way in which i referenced the song was out of context with the song i was talking about um the morning it's, it was a part of a much larger conversation that we've been having with our son because there is uh one of his teachers really holds to an old understanding of america and has them sing uh, and this song wasn't even one of the songs they sing a lot of um old American patriotic tunes and talk about Christopher Columbus as a hero and different things. So we've been trying to have a little bit broader conversations with him about what some of that stuff meant. And so we were having a longer conversation and then we, I was jokingly singing back to him rewording this land is not your land. This land is, or whatever. I can't remember how their land, it, but um, as part of a larger conversation, not thinking that everybody was going to become this is what's funny too is like i'm well aware of woody guthrie and his politics even like the belt guard on my guitar i don't know if you yes, can see it but it says this machine kills fascists <laughs> <laughs> so uh i'm well aware and i apologize for uh taking that out of context or not giving a full context because it was a protest song evidently right yeah, it was like his response to God Bless America and yeah. um, kind of weird, sappy, patriotic tunes that people were, you know, and he it was more of a, you know, this is this this is for everybody kind of, you yeah. know, I don't know, it's a much larger conversation, but yes. Yes. I'm aware and I apologize for that snippet being out of context, Woody Guthrie. Yes, yes. Woody Guthrie. I'm going to forward all the emails. You can just say, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Next. All right. So I also uh, got an email that somebody was willing to allow me to read. And we always want to receive correction. Um, uh, this one um, said, I came away from listening to episode 314, which was the Revelation episode. I came away from that episode feeling grieved. I came away wondering if I should feel grateful to you that you are saving us from the stupid, idiotic theologians and scholars who have gone before you and me, those who passed the faith on to us, who lived in much less lavish times, those who looked at the book of Revelation as both apocalyptic literature and prophetic, that I should also be glad that Mike knows exactly how the first century church received the letter from John. So the... the <laughs> um, I, the tone here may be a bit sarcastic, what yep um and 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 uh i grieve over the church as a pastor as i see the church shrinking in many cases because individuals feel like they don't know how best they don't or they oh excuse me i read that wrong in many cases because individuals feel they know best on how church should be what has to happen to humbleness in communities we both agree 
uh, we should be participating in. What has, uh, what has happened to people who come to be a part of the body, not to see Jesus, but to examine it if, be, if it's being done correctly and right? Rarely do people call and ask me about my heart for Jesus. I simply get asked if I fit into their mold. I know you were criticizing your own, but I really came away grieved in spirit with the rhetoric. So I wrote back and I said, thanks for your honest feedback. The last thing I would ever want to do is come across as superior in any way. I channel the work of amazing scholars who have been saying these things for years. May I read your email on air? And we always strive to listen. He graciously says, yep, you can read it. He says, I know that you're not talking off the cuff, but through much research, I think we can agree that we could find, quote, amazing scholars and scholarship that would take a different position. Please know I'm not inferring right and wrong. I, I think through listening to you and others, I'm holding certain things more loosely, primarily for the sake of the gospel. So my concern is how dogmatic can we really be on some of these issues and those who hold them? With the immensity of God and the depth of the scriptures, how can any one of any generation feel they, above all others, know the mind of God and be fiercely dogmatic on many issues? But as you've clearly stated, when we do that, we do that to the detriment or abuse of others. Is that acting like Jesus? And the answer, implied answer, of course, is not. Um, so I appreciate my thinking being challenged. I will continue to listen. Feel free to use these emails. So fantastic, fantastic questions. And um, and, you know, so to this individual, I really appreciate you, you um, writing in and, you know, as I, as I wrote back and, and want to say publicly, man, never, but we hear this from time to time from people, look, you guys come across like you know it all. And by you guys, it's Mike. <laughs> Tim is wonderfully, wonderfully humble. That's why, that's why he got rebuked. That's why it was so fun. He got just rebuked. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Guthrie. I know, right? Um, so yeah, I don't ever want to come across that way. And certainly, man, um, hermeneutical humility is is something we're like really diving into as we're talking about this whole Bible series. Um, but I think you so so rhetoric. Yes, if the rhetoric is inflammatory or demeaning or whatever, it has no place, right? That's not Sermon on the Mount way of living. That's not Jesus way of living. That and that doesn't serve any sort of helpful or redemptive purpose. But in your second email, you raise an issue of well, how dogmatic can we be? And and and, and it seems like underneath that is the idea that isn't it arrogant to even assume that you're right about an interpretation of the Bible when there can be other scholars who would disagree with you. And I guess I want to explore that a little bit because I do think that there is harmful and toxic theology. And I would guess that oh, yeah. you think that too and that you would be dogmatic against it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and one of the things that you seem to be dogmatic against is dogmatism. And so, um, and so totally, I, and I agree with you on that. I think, it's, I think how we hold theology is, is just, if not more important than the theology we hold. Absolutely couldn't agree more. So I always want to be, and the reason I wanted to read the email was just to always publicly say, I don't ever want to come across that way. But at the same time, I don't quite go all the way with you to, well, just because there are scholars on both sides, it kind of means we can't know. Right. Or that it's arrogant of me to think I know what the text means. Because I would argue you do this same thing somewhere along the line, even though we don't know each other. And that that's necessary for the kind of pastoring you and I are both called to do. 
Like, it's not just a, all a fuzzy gray area, and I'm not saying that you've implied that, but I am saying that when it came to the Revelation episode, I am quite certain that the left behind way of interpreting the Bible is wrong and harmful. Hmm. And I think I, it would be, um, I think it would be not true to the text to somehow give credence to that way of interpreting the Bible when it does such violence to the form and shape of the text, as the text it says. So yeah. I'll receive, I'll receive the arrogant criticism for sure, but but I will not receive the idea that that just because there are good scholars on both sides that means we can't know something or that it's arrogant to say that i somehow mike erie lavish christian in 21st century america somehow knows the mind of god not at all but i am saying there are better readings of the text than others and there are readings of the text that do harm and i want to call those out absolutely and i would argue that you do that too um, and now, now you may respond by saying that's not at all what my point was. Fantastic. But I wanted to use something that you said to talk about this bigger point. When we get into the text, we, we ha- it seems like we have to fight sort of a bunch of errors, but at least walk a thin line between two. One is the, the dogmatism of the fundamentalists on either side, right? Uh, mm-hmm. With no tolerance for people who disagree, no grace, no hospitality. Uh, and absolutely repent of that, and I am capable of such arrogance, no question about it. On the other hand, I don't, uh, I don't think that the opposite error, and I'm not saying that you're saying this, I'm saying that it is being said, however, and I feel like it was intimated a bit in some of the way you, you phrase things, that just because there's loads of views that we can't really know, that we just have to be agnostic on some of these things. And I just wanna say, well, I don't know that I'm right, but I certainly know there are more readings. There are readings that are more faithful than other readings of the text, and um, and I think it's important that we, as pastors and thinkers, wrestle with how do we know more faithful readings when we see them, yeah. um, and uh, and and that has to be done with humility because I've changed my mind on a bunch of things. Totally, you know what I mean. So. Um, absolutely the whole enterprise should be characterized by humility um and if i don't display that i'm right to be called out but the goal of the enterprise is to arrive at some faithful reading of the text and i just don't want to throw that out in the midst of hey but there are loads of people that read the text otherwise yes yeah you know when when it says wives uh, submit to husbands um, and I've heard that taught, by, and yeah. I've heard good scholars teach that. Then you realize that that verse doesn't say that. It just says, wives to your husbands. Um, and the verb submit has to be borrowed from the verse before it in uh, verse 21. That's where it says, submit one another. Um, submit to one another. And then as an example of that submission to one another, it says, wives to your husbands. But it does not imply that husbands should never submit to your wives. Um, And I think, (laughs) I don't know the mind of God, but I know damn well that that the the reading of some scholars that takes that to turn women into doormats is incorrect. Yeah. So I just want to hold on to the ability to land some places when when we come to the text. And this whole series has been about how do you land well, even in places, and, and there are great scholars who would disagree, but I don't know. I think I, I don't think that um, that is a faithful rendering of the text. And so 
I know you're not saying, and maybe I'm way over answering this, but it was totally provoking thoughts in my brain because the, the, the sarcasm in your first email stung. Oh, aren't we, should I be grateful for Mike Erie who knew better than everybody else? And, um, <laughs> and the I'm answer like, is yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, good Lord, no. And that's why I was like, I'm channeling scholars who've been saying these things forever. Yeah. Um, this is just Mike Erie in a room, although it is that. Um, but uh, so it, it stung a bit because it, that, that would be totally contrary to everything we talk about on the podcast. But at the same time, <laughs> there have been better interpretations as we've gone on. Yeah. And um, as we're more aware, I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls opened up massive realizations that we were misreading Judaism and that we'd misunderstood Romans and blah, 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 blah. So all that is to say, um, I think that this email was incredibly helpful and was really, really thought provoking for me. What, did, what do you hear in all this, Tim, if you have, if you want to comment at all uh, on this? I'd like this? to first of all say that podcasting is weird. Because right now, it's just the two of us talking, and you're looking at me, and you're saying you. And so I'm receiving <laughs> everything you're saying as to me. Yes. Um, uh, yep, I think that you're right. That's what I think. <laughs> well, thanks, Tim. That's why you're on the podcast. No. This whole thing is, you know, it, the whole series has been interesting for me because we're I don't, I don't feel like things are being said as like hard truths, but they're like archeological digs. And as we discover a room, we kind of look at that room and then move to the next and then not forget the room prior to that as you enter the next room and you're carrying room to room in this mm. dig. And I think it's actually kind of fascinating because yeah, sure. There's maybe in a hundred years, people will be doing another dig and they will build upon things that you have discovered while you're digging. I think that's the nature of time. Right. But for sure there's people that are, you know, digging up, digging in the wrong places and finding the wrong things or not digging deep enough and then making outlandish claims or totally or man, to test the, or, to the test the fruit stuff. Like on. with what you just said, like that's, that's such a, all I do in class is, like harp on students that like, I'm not, none of my students are English majors. So it's like, I'm not harping on them about English. I'm harping on them to be critical thinkers. Mm. Like you have to look at something, understand the, it's literally the same thing we're doing right now. I had this conversation in class yesterday. You're looking at an article, you're understanding the authorial intent, what the author is saying, and then you have to respond to it. Mm-hmm. You have to find your you your your voice and your opinion on that thing matters. And I, my wife and I had a long conversation last night about. I'm worried, or the thing that I'm most worried about since we're both teachers is creating a generation of critical thinkers, hmm. whether they're conservative or progressive or whatever, but that they're using their brain to actually critically think about things and understand them rather than just blindly accepting some yeah. wackadoo ideas. Yeah, test the fruit. Come on. And uh, that test the fruit motif is being shown explicitly in the new Netflix series, Midnight Mass, <laughs> that Tim and I both realized we were watching. And please, um, don't watch it. It is, <laughs> it is so blasphemous. Um, but it has this subtext of religion and religious belief and true religion versus false religion yeah. that is unbelievable. 
it's so hard for me teaching at a Christian college because I, I want to teach a class. The class I've always wanted to teach has been on um, horror and um, social commentary because ho- all horror oh, films yes. used to be social commentaries. Yeah. And now they're starting to do that again. And like, you know, Jordan Peele and, you know, these movies yep. like Midsummer oh and Hereditary, yes. they're all commentaries on something about society and they provoke really interesting conversations. And Midnight Mass not. provokes a very interesting conversation. It does. Oh my But Lord. I can't tell my students to watch it. Right. Because it is we, not Christian, even remotely. But it has great conversation on Christianity. Yes. I think. And oh, religion and oh, stuff. So it's, oh, I yes, love it. we're not yes. officially endorsing it. No, with don't a, watch with it. With a cross or a fish. Um, <laughs> Although there are lots of crosses and fishes in it. Oh, my. It starts with a fish, <laughs> yeah. um, interestingly enough. But, oh, it is. <laughs> it is so provoking of all this stuff. Oh, my goodness. Um, so Tim, I love that. And and that's all we're doing too, right? We're just using literary analysis and awareness. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, one of the things I think about the email, just jumping back to that for a second is we all, we all have hermeneutical communities that we are born out of. And, um, and so to, to, to critically think requires us to kind of excavate the assumptions around those and line them up again. And see, we don't, I mean, technically deconstruction is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do. Mm. The text, and it's usually in literary theory, the text deconstructs itself. And that's what we're trying to get at is the text deconstructs itself um, when we're paying attention to it. And um, and so we're That's so key. What you just said, I think, because... I, a student asked if we could do office hours yesterday and she was talking to me about how she's having a problem with retention and she's having a problem keeping up in her classes. I made this whole conversation about advocating for yourself with teachers and whatever, but I was like, I think that a lot of people don't think they have the ability to critically think or to close read or to, mm-hmm. they think that those are terms that like are too big or heavy to be applied. But what you just said, and plus like what you've said before about reading Mark straight through and then starting over and reading it again and then starting over. That's exactly what that is. And allowing the text to present itself with its intent is everybody's right. capable of that. Right. And in, I don't know, I don't know how you encourage people to, cause I, I think we've talked about that with deconstruction and I'm using air quotes that you can't see on the listening side, <laughs> but people, I think people get afraid I'm I'm trying really hard to understand how we talked about this last episode, how different brains work because they process pulling the rug out differently or holding loosely differently. And I'm trying to inhabit all of that to have those conversations where it's like, well, okay, this is how you do this. I need to be really sensitive to that in this conversation. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to encourage everybody that you have the, everybody has the ability to sit and just read. Totally. And then and ask questions. And at they'll the very be least. Ab- yes. Yes. Or be patient and yeah. sit in a text or whatever. Um, and there's also, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why genre is important in Bible reading because the information is conveyed a bunch of different ways to a bunch of different kinds of brains. Totally. You know what I mean? I'm not a psalmist. You know, I'm not, I mean, I just don't process information artistically. Mm -hmm. I process it as a, I don't know, 
Bible studier, as a yeah. student, as a, you know, this, I want to understand. I don't experience the text first. I, I, you know, try to understand it first. That's the way my brain works. But there are people that are psalmists before they're anything, or they're, they're yeah. people that are narrative people before they're anything. And it's, I mean, so I just love that scripture itself makes room. It's so rad. For that. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk. So, so we started last week. We were jumping ahead on the Bible stuff because we were, we were processing. It's a purple water bottle, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good Lord, he just pulled out a purple water bottle. It's true. <laughs> oh, my word. We hey, just now, started. Now I'm starting to feel self-conscious. Yep, there's this purple. And it's not, it's not that it's purple. It's just that it's all the same color. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the point. Um, <laughs> purple, wow. my high school colors were purple and gold, baby. Purple and gold. Yes. So I'm a fan of the purple. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But we started talking about, okay, so how, you know, you introduced some troubled times and they yeah. all had, they all As had, they all, as one does, they all had kind of features in common. One of them is that very often these are concerned about justice and, and understanding or misunderstanding what justice is. And so that caused me to jump ahead in the Bible stuff and say, okay, Richard Hayes has this um, template that when we talk about measure the fruit, okay, what does that mean? Does, does it mean these church people are nice? That this church is nice and that that's the fruit that Jesus is after? Well, I, I think it's much bigger than nice. Love is much bigger than nice. Uh, is it just being accepting of every single thing that people can possibly believe? Uh, Jesus wasn't. And um, although he was addressing re religious leaders primarily, he did lots of correction about yeah. what true Judaism was um, away from its corruptions. Um, does it mean that uh, you know we have strict moral codes that we adhere to and keep people in or kick people out on the basis of their you know out external conformity to those? I mean, so so fruit remains unclear as a test for if you're reading well. Mm. So then we go into well, okay, what 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 could we possibly mean by fruit? And the most obvious fruit that Jesus comments on is is following him you know but what does that mean because loads right. of people claim to follow him and we could very easily say what's well, the sermon on the mount if anyone is, is seriously endeavors to walk through life in a manner consistent with the sermon on the mount they are they are attempting to follow jesus um but there are bigger bigger things also involved in that and so hayes comes up with this sort of template of three ways, and he doesn't use the word fruit, that's my word, but three ways of sort of talking about readings as they inform communities. And the first one is community itself, that, that these are, the purpose of the text is to form communities of people who are um, faithful to embodying the Jesus story well in their life and in um, working to inhabit that story themselves. Um, and so, so we talk first about community, that the object of the New Testament are not individuals in affinity groups. They are churches. Yeah. And that has massive importance um, later. Like the wives submit to your husbands. That's not talking about a nuclear family. 
That's something very, very specific happening there that was addressed, he was addressing the church. So, you, so that automatically changes how you approach the text. Secondly, uh, we wanna talk about the cross and, and Jesus himself introduces a Jesus-centered reading of the Old Testament when he is with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus um, and then he begins, you know, with Moses and the prophets to kind of talk through how the scriptures um, are fulfilled in him and point to him. And so there is a backward awareness that we carry into the Old Testament that, of course, the Old Testament writers and authors themselves did not have. Um, but that doesn't mean we just get to, get to find Jesus and Christianity everywhere. That's not how that works. But it does mean that a faithful community will be cross-shaped. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and again, cross-shaped doesn't clarify anything, but let's spend some time clarifying what it means. So when, it, when community, when we use the word community, we mean communities oriented by justice. Justice is a dynamic that the gospel introduces in communities where it lifts up the poor, the marginalized, and the lowly, and it brings down the rich, the mighty, and the high status so that all might share uh, in as in as members of God's household, as brothers and sisters, as siblings. One could say, "This land is your land. This land is my land." That's exactly the right use, and it's fascinating, <laughs> Tim, because what people jumped on you about was exactly it was it was exactly the kind of thing that we're doing in Bible work. You took something out of context and actually were employing <laughs> yep. it in a way contrary to the <laughs> totally. author's intent. Yep. And so, what you got was, no, 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 this song was actually about, and then these people right. gave you the narratives or they gave you the story of behind the song or the deeper meaning of the lyrics, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk to the, about understanding the Bible, we do this all the time with each other, yeah. right? Well, no, that's not what that means, right? And, and sometimes, you know, our emailer is right that, that you don't and you can't know. Right. Um, about which what, what the author meant here. And there are parts of the Bible that are totally like that, where it's like, uh, my Lord, I have no clue what Paul is getting at when he talks about the angels are watching. You know, cover your heads for the sake of the angels. Yeah, that'd be a fun postscript to this series is, because I would imagine even the things that we can't understand in some way have an intent that our inability to understand is a part of. Yeah. We can sense? guess at, we can totally yeah. guess at them, but right. it's just guessing. Yeah. Um, so we want to talk about community. We want to talk about cross. We want to talk about new creation. So how, how do you know if the Bible is being read well? Don't go to their doctrinal statement. Don't <laughs> go to the, the lyrics of the songs that are sung. Ultimately, what you want to do is you want to look at the communal life of the community. Yeah. Um, and is there is there power sharing? Is there transparency? Is there honesty? Is there? I mean, these are all communal features that are uh, around the idea of justice. That yeah. the gospel introduces dynamics in and reorients relationships in a community. And if it's not doing that, if it's just reinforcing existing divisions and fault lines, then um, the the scriptures very clearly and the New Testament declares that not, to not be a faithful church. Uh, or a faithful community. Um, when we talk about cross, what we're talking about is something called cruciformity. Um, one of Gombus's favorite scholars, a guy named Michael Gorman, who introduced, I don't know if he introduced it, but he certainly popularized 
this concept, and it just has a load of incredible books on it. But cruciform just means in the shape of the cross. Yeah. And, um, and the idea here is that the cross is not or should not be primarily conceived of an object that purchases our forgiveness and salvation. The cross should be conceived of as a way of life, a way of orienting oneself in the world. And this comes straight from Jesus, right? When there's this interesting thing when we talk about reading Mark, one of the things you notice in the book of Mark is that there are three times Peter acknowledges Jesus as Messiah and then instantly Jesus announces that he has to suffer and die. Peter misunderstands that. And then Jesus offers a corrective teaching. Right. That pattern happens three times throughout the book of Mark. Three times. There'll, there'll be something that happens. Jesus will announce he will suffer and die. The disciples misunderstand it. So Jesus has to correct. And so the first time that happens is in Mark 8, where um, G Peter says he's the Messiah. And then Jesus says, the Messiah must suffer and die. Peter rebukes Jesus, and um, Jesus sees Satan in that rebuke, and he says, you know, get behind me, take the following, follow me, don't lead me. And then he says, um, whoever uh, wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life, um, for my sake, will save it. And... I don't know if I read that right or quoted it right, but, but you get the point. Yeah. Um, that, that for Jesus, taking up your cross is a, is a way of life. So even though he will suffer and die, and as we know later in the story, he's forgiving people as he's suffering. He's not trading insult for insult. He is sacrificing himself for the people who are doing violence to him, right? All the stuff he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, he himself embodies. That is what taking up your cross looks like. Taking up your cross, and for some of the disciples, it was quite literal. They would be crucified. Yeah. But it was also a picture of someone who had renounced their rights and their entitlements, um, who had been rendered, they had been rendered socially unfit. Um, they, had been, they had been judged to be um, a threat to the existing social order. Taking up your cross meant you were dying. So it's, a, it's an image of, yes, it's an image of surrender, but it's an image of dying to self. And that's why Jesus exactly says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you, want, if you um, try to save your life, no, no, no. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you want to lose your life, you'll try to save it. Right. And and so he's he's painting a picture of a kind of life that is cross-shaped, right? That's what it means to take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. It meant literally for some of them to follow me to Jerusalem, right. where he was taking up his cross. But at, as this is written later to later churches, right? It it has the implication of a way a pattern of living. The same he says, and if we want more. I, uh, if we want ideas about what that pattern of living looks like, well, the second time he says this, this is in uh, Mark 9. Um, Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him. After three days, he will rise. The, then it says the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. When they came to Capernaum, Jesus asked them, what were you guys talking about on the road? And uh, they kept quiet because on the way, they were talking about who of them would be the greatest when Jesus comes into his kingdom, <laughs> right? It's amazing. And then he says, and again, 
This is all in response to this. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. And, and then he gives an example of what that looks like. He takes a kid who would have been on the margins of the disciple community. The disciple community was primarily men and, shockingly, some women, some of whom were wealthy. But he takes a little child who was not an exemplar in the first century of spiritual humility or goodness, but was, you know, in, in even Jewish culture, these were just drains on resources. He pulls a child from the margins to the center and says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me. Jesus identifies with the marginalized there. And, um, and so it's fascinating. So the first time he announces that he will die and suffer, Peter's like, dude, no way. The, the Messiah is not supposed to do that. And Jesus says, no, 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 you have to take up your cross. You have to do this too. The cross isn't just a place where I die. It's a place where you die too. And then the second time he says it, and they're arguing about who is the greatest, and he talks about then what it looks like to serve. If the greatest, he redefines what greatest means, right? Through him, right? The greatest is the one who serves, and he comes among them as one who serves. And then the third time, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man must be delivered. This is a Mark 10. So Mark is deliberately three times in three chapters. Huge, huge point he's making here. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will kill him. Then, immediately after that, James and John said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, Okay, what do you want me to do? Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other on your left. The positions of honor. Yeah. Right? As Jesus comes into his kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, he said. Um, he calls the disciples together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, my followers. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Now, what's he saying? Okay, so he's identifying what cross-shaped looks like. First, cross-shaped means surrendering your life and your entitlements, surrendering your rights and your privileges. It secondly means using that whole package for the sake of others, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing the marginalized to the center, uh, protecting the weak and the vulnerable. And then when it comes to leadership, he's like, and it should not be quest for power or control or authority. Rather, we affect people through self-sacrificial love. Yeah. Now, you know, now with the guy's email from that you read at the beginning. Yeah. um, I imagine that what you just said looks a little different in every generation. So even in a couple thousand years since Jesus said that, the way that that plays out, the dying to self at this and then sacrificing those things for the sake of other people who are being marginalized, a lot of times the who is on the margins Right, that changes. Right, and so the interpretation, in some ways, I don't, it's it's interesting because the generational intent behind, or no, sorry, generational discernment as to what that looks like, yeah, requires like a a specific set of like a sp- specific work in every generation to a certain That's extent. Right. The theme Absolutely. is not different, but the application or practicality of it, yeah. Yep. And so what, is a, what, so what is a faithful, a community that is reading the text well, what does that look like? 
It looks like a community of justice and yeah. it looks like a community that's cross-shaped. Yeah. And what does cross-shaped mean? Well, yeah. according to Jesus, cross-shaped means you've given up the pursuit of greatness. You've given up the pursuit of power and authority and coercion, manipulation. You've become the servant of all. And, um, and um, you are radically redefining um, what it means to live oriented towards the world, away from self-interest and self-aggrandizement and self, um, you know, um, selfish ambition and towards self-sacrificial love, right? Yeah. Paul, and this is where Gorman and Gombes camp a ton. They, they camp and, and they argue that if you really want to know what Paul how Paul conceives of church life and ministry, the clearest picture of that is Philippians chapter two, where we have this very famous poem or hymn or something that Paul is quoting to the Philippians. But think about, and again, we're going to make some points here, but just I'm going to read the text. Um, it's, it's a massive, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but, um, but each of you to the interests of others. Now that's exactly what Jesus was saying those three times, just put into different words. And then he says, in your relationships with each other, all right, now this is what, this is a cross-shaped community in your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Jesus who being in very nature god okay had all the rights privileges uh, all of that was his by right did not consider godness as something to be used to his own advantage and that translation is fantastic it is it's not my old translation was something to be grasped and um and the verb there is like grasp onto or use as a lever to, to get more for yourself. Mm. Um, so, so Jesus, as God, was entitled to everything: worship, glory, honor. What Satan's off? This is what Satan offered him. Totally. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down to me. Jesus was already entitled to that in virtue of his nature, but he did not use that. To his own advantage. Now, think about the swath of the gospel message born, you know, uh, to a mo a single mom who was pregnant under mysterious circumstances, announced to shepherds. I mean, the whole Christmas story is the story of like not nothing. There was nothing that was used to his own advantage. He suffered yeah. in every way you could suffer, right? Um, and then. He made, and he did this to make himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So he is in the most socially advantaged position as deity, right? In the Roman right. world, it doesn't get higher on the pantheon than the gods. Yeah. So here is this carpenter, this obscure carpenter who had that social honor, who took the social honor of a servant, All right? Now this is, I mean, again, in Roman terms, Servants, <laughs> servants um, had no social honor. Uh, most of them were not considered human. They were considered property. 
Being made in human likeness, this Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus even humbled himself further, becoming obedient to death, death on a cross, which, as most of us know, is the most socially shameful. It wasn't just the physical torture, but it was the social shaming that went along with crucifixion that made it such an instrument of terror. And what did God do to that humiliation? Not only did he not claim his rights and privileges, he took the form of a servant and then, as a servant, humbled himself even further by dying a shameful death. What is God's verdict over him? Well, God, according to Paul, and whatever Paul's quoting, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, again, that comes from um, the book of Isaiah. Uh, Is it Isaiah or Jeremiah? Oof. It's, but, but that text, I think it's Isaiah, that text was used of Yahweh. Hmm. So Yahweh's verdict over Jesus is that that is Yahweh-like. That at the na- and then he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. That's the part that's, I think, from Isaiah. To the glory of God the Father. Now, what compare the three texts that Jesus gives as corrections about what his suffering and dying means as a way of life. And then take that Paul text and say, okay, so what's that tell you about the shape of the communities? Well, of course then they should forgive each other and bear with one another and encourage one another and be reconciled to one another and listen to one another and be hospitable to one another, right? All the one another statements flow out of that posture, yeah. right? Have that same mindset. Instead of using all of our privilege to get more, instead yeah, of our that, using that our power to get more power, instead of using our money to get more money, instead of using all that we have, the cross-shaped community uses its privilege. And again, I don't mean the racial, you know, the racial privilege, although. I mean, let's go there if you want, but I'm not, yeah. I'm using privilege in, in the most, the broadest term possible, the broadest way possible of, of rich, of uh, intelligent, of social status, right? All of it. Um, it. When we see this with people who use their platforms, lift others up, we see this with people who are so unbelievably generous that their, their competency at making money fuels the generosity that, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, we, we see and we, and we join in Jesus declare, or we join with God in declaring that Jesus shaped, right? The, 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 we just celebrated 9-11, all of the first responders that were running in, right? Instead of running away, right? That's Jesus shaped, right? The, the people that sacrifice themselves or that forgive the, the, the adult that killed their kid, Right. right, we we all marvel at that. Now we may yeah. not use Jesus shaped, but that's what we're looking for. And the big critique of all of the nonsense that we see in our culture about our rights to guns, vaccines, and infringement of masks—all of that rights talk—some um, of it I think could be legit, but a lot of it is simply um, the the using and claiming of rights in ways that are totally contrary to this posture of the church um, exemplified here. So it doesn't matter if you have a great theology of the cross, 
if your life is not cross-shaped, you don't have a great theology of the cross. Right? And so we spend in America all of our time talking about which atonement theory is the correct one. Right. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't give it an atonement theory. He gives us a meal, first of all, to explain <laughs> his death. And then secondly, he gives us images of what being cross-shaped looks like. And it looks like renouncing power, using my privilege and freedom for the sake of others. Right. Now, if people, like, so you take the mask issue. If people have reasons to not wear masks, great. Um, the danger is in saying it's an infringement upon my rights. Right. As if my rights over against the community were the most important thing. The cross-shaped community is a community of people who put away their rights for the sake of other people. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who doesn't wear a mask has an issue or whatever. I'm just saying that's a right. great example of a current thing. Or, or uh, hey, I'm not going to get a vaccine because the government doesn't have a right to. Right. Now, that may be true in our modern liberal democracy, but that's not the place we start. The, the cross-shaped community at least starts with, how do I use whatever privilege I have for the sake of others? How do I leverage that? I don't use that to gain more for myself, right? Uh, which is totally contrary to all platform building. Um, but instead, I use it for the sake of others. Right, and that, that, uh, that um, what is the, shell, the image that I sent you last week? The giving tree one? Yes. Where they redid the giving tree for inequality and equality and equity and justice. Yes. Yeah. And the justice one was like fixing the system to offer equal access to both tools and opportunities, not because a lot of times we stop at equity and we don't yes. get all the way to justice. That's right. Yes. Yes. No, that I think that it was so good. And do you see, I mean, the cross shaped, um, humility and willingness to serve totally goes hand in hand with the, the com a community characterized by Shalom and justice. Absolutely. Can I, that you can't the, separate them. Sky had a great conversation with David French on Friday on his podcast. But one of the things they talked the Holy about. The Post. Yes, on the Holy Post. They need some advertising. Um, <laughs> the, uh, they, there's a couple of really profound um, things in there that I thought were just really great. But one of them, they were talking about empathy. Because there's this big conversation in the church about like the sin of empathy right now. Yes, yes, yes. Big, big names who have said that empathy is a sin and yada, yada, yada. Oh, no, or, or that empathy, you can have too much of it. Right. And it could be well, sinful. And they, yeah. And so uh, one of the things he was talking about was like, David French was talking about um, like people, there's this, this continues to happen that we see that people die of these people who are against the vaccine and very outspoken about that kind of stuff. Right. Laying in a hospital bed saying like, oh, I wish I would have done this as they're dying. Right. And he has this whole conversation about because people are saying they're out of it. Like he's saying on the both on the right and the left, people are saying I'm out of empathy. I can't yeah. empathize anymore. I can't like, you know what? They dug this hole. Let right. them sit in it. And I am super guilty of that posture of just being like, you know what? I'm, I can't have this argument anymore. Like you reap what you sow, blah, blah, blah. And he was talking about like empathy and these kind of things of being in the hospital room with your hand on the person's shoulder and just being like in that sorrow with them, despite how many disagreements you had had 
or how angry you are with them or whatever. Yeah. And having that posture, and that's what that what you just said makes me think of that. That brought that back up to my mind. Cause it's like this posture and community of fostering exactly this yeah. fruit. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard work. Like you. Oh, it's that's why no one like, does it. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, because because cross shaped means I don't get to um, render you an enemy. And yeah, so that made me think of that from uh, you know the Sermon on the Mount stuff too. And like that's there's a lot of things I think that the church does get kind of good at sometimes. Like we'll have moments of meekness and weakness and and uh, it, you know minister doing service for people or whatever. But the love your enemy thing is something I think that we collectively still struggle quite a bit. Oh with. yeah, I struggle a oh, lot with me too, especially when your enemies are Christians of different political parties. Yes, because <laughs> then because the, then we get to play the judgment, you know, yep. discernment card, yes. and and then even in some progressive circles, for forgiving people is yep. complicit with evil. Which, yep. oh my goodness! So, I mean, this is the and that's why I use the mask stuff and vaccine stuff loosely. I just see a lot of rights assertion in some of those arguments, and totally. I go, well, again, the posture is. I use my rights and privileges in a in a posture of self expenditure. Now yeah. that doesn't mean we don't save up and we don't invest wisely and take care of. Right. I mean that again. Let's do all the nods to capitalism in our framework, you know, and disclaimers. Great, but the 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 fundamental posture of life is either to use what I have to get more for me, or to use what I have to benefit others. Right. That's it. And so, and that's true of the churches, is the goal of the church to just get more honor and social status and how big we are and how much money we have and how glorious we are. Okay, you might be big. Big isn't necessarily bad. And certainly shiny big buildings can be used for good, but is the posture of that, all of that, for the sake of its own self glorification or is it for the yeah. sake of others? And, um, you know, we'll all use the right words to say, hey, it's all about Jesus. But it's, it's funny, the people that need to tell you it's all about Jesus, very often they have to say that because they're making it all about them. And so if it really is all about Jesus, you probably won't ever notice. You that's know what I mean? A, yeah, and that's a, that's a conversation we have a lot is that, you know, the loudest voices are the ones monopolizing the conversation because a lot of the quiet voices are the ones that are doing humble work and it's not totally there's no you know there's no loudspeaker involved in that yeah which yeah. creates a very interesting conversation about how like how to exist in this world in an effective way or whatever or if that's even a conversation to be had yeah totally so so let's say you're looking for a church all right what are things you might want to look for well when it comes to communities characterized by justice, um, are there people of different and varying backgrounds? Um, are, are, is there a, a gut level honesty and lamenting about the realities of life? Or is there sort of this paper mache cliche wall um, when we talk about suffering? Is it always we end on a high note and it's a pep rally for Jesus? Or is there the reality of lament and the work in the church to take care of uh, people who aren't socially advantaged so that they're lifted up and that the social advantaged instead of just being recognized and playing favorites right this is the great 
the great tragedy of Hillsong, um, right. at least in one of its expressions, it was a celebrity culture. And here are all of our celebrities treated as celebrities, when in fact what the gospel, the real gospel does, is take all that away and call it into question so that the celebrities might be siblings with the normally, you know, a, a homeless or socially disadvantaged, right? And if it's yeah. not doing that, then those are not gospel dynamics. Those are just worldly dynamics applied in a church environment. Right. So too with the cross. If the church is characterized by expending itself for the sake of others, then that's a glorious, glorious thing. If the church just seems interested in building its own brand and boasting in its own goodness, like here are all the things our church did this year. Here's how amazing we all are. We're one of the fastest growing churches. I mean, any of that language, I mean, that is so antithetical to all of this. Flee, my friends, flee. Even if the theology is great, it's right. bad theology. Um, it's bad reading uh, because we are not saved by perfect reading. Hallelujah and forever. Because like our friend, emailing friend said, we're never gonna, we're never gonna land on that. Right. Um, but there are readings that produce fruit and we're just trying to define what the fruit is. So um, a life that is, that is characterized by self-expenditure and, and we don't go, you know, we don't go around judging, um, well, ooh, the pastor has a new car. You know, I mean, that, that dumb old religious Phariseeism, it's not what we're talking about. We're, you know, you know, if you've immersed yourself in, the, in Mark or in the Sermon on the Mount, you know Jesus when you see it. Yeah. And you just want to look for communities, not people, because people are going to be all over the map. But you look for communities characterized by these sorts of things. Because, right, I mean, I don't, this stuff challenges the crap out of me. Yeah. And I'm still in process about working out what all of this means. Right? I mean, I have a son with special needs. So I, I try to save a lot for his future. Is that mm. bad? So I have, I have a savings account. And um, does, does that, but it's for the sake of him. So is that, okay? you know, I mean, it just, it raises all of those really profound questions. And uh, Which I think it should. That's such a, I feel like that's a great marker of. That's a great point, Tim. You know, it's just the, the, the assurity of some of these things versus like the discernment required to do. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't yeah. think a lot of the, uh, whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting test. If, if your reading of the Bible just confirms everything you already think, then maybe you might be doing it wrong. Well, yeah. Cause my goodness, I, I get so wrecked by this stuff. And that's, that's the part we don't always share on the podcast is just like the two years leading up to yeah. some of these conversations of just going, my Lord, I think I've been wrong on this forever. Yeah. And, um, I think there's a more faithful, reading and a more communal a better a better and more faithful inhabiting as a community of whatever it is that we're talking about so it'd be so great to build a church culture where pastors feel comfortable enough to say exactly that like hey guys i, I i've gone through this thing i've realized that this is i maybe misinterpreted this or i misrepresented this and totally. i want to kind of take us back through that and all of us be like oh that's interesting let's do that yeah. together yeah and that's one of the great gifts of podcasting, right? Is, is that we get to do that and just yes. say, yeah, I, I, I used to, because of the inherited culture, I used to think women could not be elders in a church. And I, I think I was wrong yeah. about that. And I don't have any, you know, 
mad donor leaving the church um, because of something <laughs> like that, right? You get yeah. to just sit in that and go, huh, is, eternally, is eternal conscious torment the most faithful reading yeah. of Jesus' view of Gehenna? Right? I mean, so, there, so we've been given a great gift in that you and I get to talk through this stuff, and then we yeah. get to hear from this really wonderful community around us. Especially as two out, outward processors. Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> yes, I don't know what I think until I start talking. Right. Anyway, friends, um, I know that for some it's helpful, for some it's bewildering, for some it's frustrating, for some it raises all sorts of questions. And man, we welcome all of that. Um, because that's us. That yeah. is absolutely us. Um, and, and maybe, you know, that, that's, that's something I can work on is, is showing the journey better instead mm. of just the conclusion. Like because, because there's a sense in which these things don't just, I don't just start on a Monday and say, hey, right. what should we talk about? I mean, this is stuff that's been stewing for years. Yeah. And pulls from so many different places, and you know maybe there's um, a, a fun, a fun conversation. Be hey, what are we in process now about? Like, what totally. are the things that are happening right now that we're totally not? It'd be a fun like annual or biannual check in. Yeah, like all Just right. The episode title <laughs> WTF? <laughs> like what is what? purple? Is purple what the always? Faith? Is purple always the color of royalty? Because if so, I'm Obby. looking. I'm looking at. Yeah. I'm looking at a man who is royal, mm -hmm. like Lord with an E would say. Yeah. Yeah. All I'm right. Positioning to sit on the right hand, but we know how well that goes. <laughs> totally. Oh. Anyway. All right, friends. Listen. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, uh, next week we'll see. We we might jump back into more official Bible stuff or hit new creation. I don't know. I also promised a law episode, so we'll see how all of that goes. But uh, Tim and I are eager to get into new creation again because yeah. I got some that, questions. I yes, and I'm 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 I, yeah. You, I'm going to put forward an, a, a hypothesis that I don't know is right. Oh, I like but, already. Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but just as a way of understanding what the Old Testament sacrificial system did. Oh boy. Um, that is congruent with what I think how Paul understands what Jesus did. Because right. in the Old Testament, I can't help myself. Don't get into it. Don't get into it. Okay. We'll do it. In the Old Testament, <laughs> there was this, but now maybe there's this. Yeah. So anyway, all right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And these days, may he give us peace. Friends, what an honor. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Till next time, bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com/voxology. You can also 
Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.